from Washington, D.C. This is Backroom Politics with moderator Justin Russell. And hello out there in Radio Land. It is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics from Podcast Village in Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., your nation's capital. Joining me here in studio as they do every Tuesday, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade. He's Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. Uh, Joining us from the sunny enclosures of Boca del Vista, he is the retired one-star admiral from New United States Navy. He is Admiral Ken Carradine. Ken, hello. Greetings from a rainy South Florida. Oh, so it's not sunshiny there. But you know where it is sunshiny? In the backyard of Casa del Lipner, he is the former Biden political operative, longtime Democratic political lawyer type in the great state of Maryland, District of Columbia. He is Dan Lipner Esquire. Hello, Daniel. Hello. And by the way, Ken, socks and sandals is a bad look. Don't do it. <laughs> He's got a point. He's got a point. No worries. Especially, especially if those are compression socks. Oh, that, that's just ugly. That's just ugly. Uh, Oscar behind the glass, taking good care of us. His partner, Charlie, also in the glass. I guess he's hanging out there in the kitchen. Yeah, Charlie, he's like, I got to see what's going on on the yeah. show. Oh, he, he, he sat through the last show, so always welcome. Love having Charlie there. Hey, we're going to talk a little bit about the politics of airliners. Uh, last week was a bad week for Boeing. Actually, the past couple of weeks have been a bad week for Boeing. Uh, ten days ago, roughly, a uh, a uh, 737, uh, 737-8, or 737-8 MAX, as they're called, a, a, a basically a six-month-old airliner built by Boeing, s- sold to and flown by Ethiopian Airlines, about 30 minutes out of takeoff, unexpectedly did a nosedive into the Ethiopian countryside, killing all on board. It then brought back visions of a similar accident that happened on a 737-8 MAX owned by Lion Air, which is a uh, regional airline based out of Indonesia, when six months prior to this accident, a Lion Air flown 737 MAX 8 uh, also did a similar nosedive into the waters around coastal Indonesia, killing all on board. Uh, after the uh, Ethiopian air crash, several uh, aviation authorities in several countries, including the Aviation Regulatory Agency in the EU, which pretty much shut down the super or the, uh, the 737 8 MAX and 9 MAX throughout Europe, other Asian companies, Japan, China, uh, and Canada uh, on our continent all shut down, and then Mexico did as well. At one point, it was the United States was the only uh, country allowing them to fly. The pressure then came on, and last Thursday, I believe, the president said in a conference that he was, in fact, ordering the FAA to ground all 737 MAX aircraft in service under the U.S. flag. Uh, The stock has taken a hit, uh, but it's brought up several questions about this, um, including... 
why why did the FAA and and the Trump administration wait so long? Should they have grounded them? Uh, all kinds of questions going on. But let, let's talk about the let's talk about uh, the the politics of this. Alan Moore, when we look at the political influence that a company like Boeing has in the U.S. government, as somebody who worked for the Department of Commerce, how strong is Boeing's voice here in Washington and why? Well, it's a huge company. They have political action committee. They have wealthy officers. They have a physical presence in a in, in a great number of states. So they have a lot of inroads into the to the ears of politicians. Um, that becomes particularly relevant when you're looking at tax laws, subsidies, defense contracts, etc. What it does not do, though, is give you power to compromise safety. Now, there's some interesting uh, linkages between Boeing personnel and how the FAA oversees airlines. It delegates to manufacturers, and we're talking here Boeing and Airbus, and there's the only two that make big uh, 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 per, I mean, there are others, Embraer, yeah, Brazil, but, but, but it's only it's, it's only Airbus and, and Boeing that make the big ones that that carry passengers, uh, that carry lots of passengers over long distances, and and those those two have uh, are, are constantly in battle and 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 trying to sell their planes. Boeing had taken its old seven thirty seven frame and put some bigger engines on it, which created some different aerodynamic right. uh, challenges that they thought they had fixed with software and 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 concluded that they didn't need um, lots of additional training for people. Um, and it turns out, it appears, at least at, at, at this point, that that was a, a horrendous mistake. It's not that Boeing wants to make a mistake like that. I mean, my God, the, 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 the liability that they're faced with, the disruption to their customers who have to pull planes out of service for an indefinite period of time, uh, the public relations, the stock, everything else. It's not like, oh, gosh, we thought we'd fooled everyone. No, no, there's no fooling in the world of, of, uh, of, of air transportation. Planes fly or they don't fly. Planes have problems or they don't. And, man, if you've got a problem and you should have known something about it, could have known something about it, should have been teaching people, the costs are grotesque, uh, uh, really, really horrendous. So so I, it's not like there are people at Boeing who think, gee, we got this safety issue, but let's not tell anybody and let's 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 push through the FAA uh, uh, approvals. But boy, those planes are going to start falling. Um, that, well, I'm not. That, I'm not defending the, the 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 way the FAA operates in in this reg, in this regard. But but it, with with really high technology product like this, w- whether we like it or not, the people who know the most are the people who design and build them. Well, well, the people who fly them know a lot, and that brings up yeah. Uh, Dan Lipner, I want to bring up this point because. Right before the Trump administration put pressure on the FAA, which, by the way, has an acting administrator until today, and by the way, the president just nominated a 
uh, retired Delta Airlines pilot to be the new head of the FAA. We'll After co- formerly wanting to appoint his own pilot. As right. Head well, of the we'll, FAA. we'll 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 cover that later at another time. But you know, the when the when the president was putting pressure on the FAA to ground the 737s, there was one group of end users that did not feel unsafe or feel that it should be grounded, and that was the pilots' union. Uh, is this a matter of the the public pressure versus listening to those who actually fly the aircraft? They weren't saying it was perfect, but they said it shouldn't be grounded. Are, are they just trying to cover their own jobs? What's going on with that, Dan? Well, that's misstating it uh, slightly. So the American pilots, after they were informed of part of the technology change that occurred with the MAX aircraft, supposedly, as it was reported, um, uh, pilots in the United States were irate that they didn't know that th- this, uh, the, the autopilot had this functionality to essentially overrule the pilot when the plane believed it was in a stall to point the plane into the ground to increase airspeed. And because the pilots, the only training they received was, again, their words, a iPad presentation on how to override the autopilot when the autopilot mistakenly thought the airplane was in a stall, that the that American pilots were understandably angry since the airplane could do things completely against the will of any of the people in the cockpit, especially when a plane is actually flying well. So that was the initial issue. Now, what you all said was true, that after they received the briefing, they thought they could handle the issue. But the question is whether or not the briefings and training the American pilots received was identical or sufficient for what pilots around the world received on the same aircraft. Arguably, since two airplanes flew directly into the ground of the plane's own volition and not the volition of the pilots, that would suggest the answer was no. Admiral Ken? So um, I guess the only thing I would add here is that um, uh, there seems to be a real close uh, relationship between uh, the aircraft manufacturers and the, uh, the federal agencies that over that oversee them. I remember seeing at least reading two reports uh, where. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the term of art is occasionally referred to as agency capture when the regulated capture the agency that is regulating. It. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, Admiral, can go you. on. Go on. Thank you. And that that makes me that makes me very very uneasy. Uh, you know, you know, I, I've often said, wouldn't the world be a great place if people did what they're supposed to do? Well, we know that that's not the case. And I think that um, the the appointment of an FAA administrator that's good. Uh, does this person have a regulatory and safety background? I don't know. Uh, I would guess not, since someone since someone already pointed out that you know one of the prior candidates for this job was was the, was the president's personal pilot. Um, it takes more than flying an airplane to basically be an, a safety administrator uh, over over uh, airline and, and aviation safety. So I think that you know maybe maybe coming out of this, um, uh, one of the things that that Congress uh, can can do with regard to its its oversight duties. Is is kind of put this whole 
uh, relationship between Boeing and uh, and many of the other aircraft manufacturers under scrutiny and, and how the certification process takes place uh, for new aircraft systems and making sure that uh, that the requisite amount of training uh, precedes the deployment of the aircraft into the into the uh, the, the, the public serving fleet. But Alan Moore, we we've seen industries regulate themselves uh, all all over the country. Is it fair to put the spotlight on the aircraft manufacturers right now because of this? Does this does this open up a whole new can of worms for how an industry is regulated? Well, it it certainly puts a spotlight on on this particular industry, this particular company, uh, decisions it made. As as Dan pointed out, and it's it's my understanding that what what Dan said was was pretty much the case that that the there was a, a very modest amount of training the the whole idea behind this new plane apparently and they were this was one of the selling points is if you could fly the old one you can fly the new one um, even though these engines are much are, are bigger and more fuel efficient but, and 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 they didn't go into an well, explanation okay, so, of, so all the, for, of all the software just for clarification but, the 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 issue seems to be stemming from what they're calling the MCAS, the multiple, uh, the um, the the uh, maneuvering characteristics adjustment system, which is a brand new system to the Max aircraft, which is, according to pilots in the United States, where they got mad was they said, "Wait a minute! All you have to do is just shut it off. Why didn't you tell us that right. if this thing goes screwy, we can just flip a switch?" Exactly, and I think there was a, a, a couple of incidents where American pilots figured it out on their own. When they realized that the plane was pitching, and then they turned the system off and they regained so, control. But that's something so, that you have to train and teach, and 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 presumably practice. And they and they and they not only did they not do that ahead of the uh, ahead of the first planes, but apparently after the the crash, they were only kind of getting to it. And I think that that my my understanding or the likelihood is that that everybody around the world. Even after that first crash, didn't get all the training. Maybe we'll learn so, something different, right, Admiral Ken? So the the, the most dangerous part um, of of air air travel, in, flying an airplane, is in the takeoff and landing configuration and phases. And um, the idea that the that the airplane could self correct uh, if the pilot, you know. Uh, Pull back on the stick too much and put too much too much uh, upward nose attitude that the plane would correct itself and 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 uh, and go nose down. That's that's a good thing, I guess. But quite frankly, the amount of time that you have to react um, in those two environments is is very very small. And I, it would appear that the the, the requisite training um, for pilots outside of the U.S. Uh, somehow didn't make it, did, did, didn't get to where it needed to go. And what's unfortunate, and what's unfortunate is, is one, um, that's, that's, that's complete supposition on our part because we not, have not seen the final. And, and by the uh, way, correct. Yeah, and, that, and by the way, we have not seen the final black box data, but it's being yeah. the black box. The black the, box, which is, which is going to Europe right. and not the United States, which is not an inconsequential point, that the FAA is not viewed as the gold standard at the moment. 
through by international well, air agencies. The Ethiopians have decided to send it to France so, and not here. So the Ethiopian, well, but FAA hold on, hold on. and NTSB people are, are present. Are present, but along hold, on. People. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop. Everybody standard. stop. I've got the facts on this. The Ethiopian Aviation Transportation Ministry and the head of Ethiopian Air decided that they did not want to send it to the United States because they felt that because the United States was the last... Uh, country to stop flying. There was too much connectivity between the administration and the industry. They felt that they needed to send it to Europe and ultimately to uh, Germany France. or France, rather, uh, to France to have them review it almost as an independent third party. It wasn't. It, it wasn't because of anything else other than. They just wanted, they thought that they were too invested here in the United States, period. Well, right. the fact that, of the matter that, that is, is... That is a bit of a difference. That, that traditionally, the United States, again, is the gold standard in air it, it, for looking into these kind of air disasters. Also, and this should not be overlooked, and we'll know more. I can't imagine there won't be congressional investigations on this. There's an issue of a software update that's go, supposed to be going into all the MAX planes, that, again, supposedly, we haven't seen all the reporting yet, but supposedly was delayed because of the government shutdown, because the FAA right. has USA to be Today, these kind of things. USA the, Today the, the was reporting that things. last week. Yeah, USA Today was reporting that last week, uh, that there was a delay. But the, but the bottom line here is, I want to go back to this black box issue. Alan, that, that's a, I mean, that's a scathing indictment on our ability for our independent regulatory authorities to look at a black box without them being somehow corrupted by industry or higher ups. It, it there is no question that there's an element of embarrassment here that Ethiopia sent it to France. In the real world, however, the French said Come on in, Americans. Come on in, Boeing. Come on in, FAA. Come on in, National Traffic's uh, uh, National Transportation Safety Board (NTSB), because um, we need all the help we can get, and we need it fast. So, all these folks were present when they were opening this thing, downloading the data. I'm sure they're sharing the data all over the world where there where there's expertise to to learn as much as they can as fast as they can there's there's hundreds of these planes out there and they're sitting on the ground and they're costing a lot of money not just to american carriers but to international carriers and doing an, a massive amount of disruption having said that you better get it right and so you're trying to do it right and you're trying to do it as fast as you can admiral ken so uh, on the subject of the, uh, the closeness between industry and oversight in this country, uh, Sully Sullenberg's book where he talked about uh, the miracle on the Hudson, um, you know, it, it left to its own devices, the FAA would have railroaded those two pilots. Um, there was a real push by the, uh, the aircraft uh, manufacturer and uh, USA and, and, the, and FAA to basically lay blame at, at the feet of the pilots. So apparently, we something has been, something something isn't quite right. I'm not sure what it is, but something is not quite right, and hasn't been quite right for a while. 
And so, again, I, my hope is that on the back end of figuring out the reason for this disaster, to get American Airlines and the other plane, other 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 uh, carriers, uh, get those planes back into uh, back into the fleet and operational. Because let's think about it: if there's less planes, then there's gonna the, the cost is gonna go up for air travel in the country in the near term, if, you know, just because of supply and demand. So let's get those planes back in the air. But the thing that I really would like to see is Congress, you know, really take hold of their oversight committee, uh, oversight responsibilities, and, and get in and start taking a look, hard look at this. All right, but wait a minute. Also, also worth noting, in, in defense of, of Boeing for just a split second, uh, the Miracle on the Hudson aircraft was, was an Airbus. Airbus A300. So, uh, again, I'm, I'm talking about – No, no, I, I, I agree, Ken. I, I just want, want all, all the facts on the table. Right. Okay, which is true. It was an A320. That went into the Hudson on, on U.S. Air. All right, but let, uh, let's talking go. Talking about process. No, 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 no I, I hear you. But, but I want to go back to this uh, this issue of, of, of the grounding and, and the pressure grounding. First of all, let's be clear. In the U.S. fleet, there are less than 160 hulls. 160 MAX aircraft in the U.S. flag fleet. And there's roughly about, what is it, about 300, I think, or just over 300 worldwide. It's not a large Sounds number. Right. No, because it's a fairly new aircraft. It's a fairly new aircraft that's yeah. still getting cycled in. Yeah, but uh, airplanes are big. We, we can't talk about the numbers. When airplanes fall out of the sky, not just the people on the airplane are potential victims, but people on the ground. Airplanes can cause lots of damage, as we know, when they hit things when they fall from the sky. It's not an inconsequential thing, just saying there's only a certain number of them. Even if there's one in the air, that is unsafe. When it falls, it breaks. But, no, no. I, I, look, we never want to see. And, and again, let's also be clear that the U.S. has one of the safest, as many aircraft and as many people flying these days. We have one of the safest air traffic systems in the world. Yes, let's be clear. President let us know after his first year in office, he took credit for the fact that there were no we, air fatalities. Can we have a discussion without you hitting the wife. president? Can we really have a, a discussion without you tagging the president just once? He he put claim on it. If any word, I would have left entirely the FAA. Let me help Dan. Last week, the, on the back end of this, the president said, "I guess airplanes are just getting too complicated to fly." Oh, that's true. Oh that was a stupid. That was a stupid. Yeah, which is, that was by stupid. the way, even when he's right, he's wrong. The, the new technology has made the aircraft far safer than it's ever been. This particular error with this particular aircraft, with the safety, with this particular safety problem, it has. Yeah, there's a problem with it. It needs to be fixed. But this aircraft is still, by any measure, very safe from where aircraft was were 30 I, I years wanna, ago. I want to apologize to Alan. I thought this was going to be a Trump-free hour. Sorry. No, I, I, I was trying. But hey, but hey, the president only made that mistake once. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Anyway, but here, here's my problem with all this. And, and, and this is where, first of all, let me be clear. I'm a licensed pilot. I've been a licensed pilot now for going on almost 20 years. Uh, I, Harbor pilot. What's that? Harbor pilot. No, I, I'm, an air, I'm, a, I'm an airplane pilot. I've had, my, I've had my, no, I get it. But what I'm saying is, what I, the problem I have is, the pilot in me says that this was a knee-jerk reaction by the FAA when the pilot's union is saying, look, we've got a fix for this. We've we figured it out. Don't ground these aircraft, but everybody else in the world is doing it. 
should we lead the standard or should we always bend to international pressure? We didn't yeah. know and still don't know exactly what happened with the Ethiopian flight. And I don't think we know everything about the Lion flight. About the, about about the, the Indonesian flight. flight. Right. Two new aircraft that are extremely popular that, they're, that, that Boeing is knocking out at the rate of about one a day or one every day and a half. But and again, just, the airline pilots that fly this no, did not complain. And the stewardesses did, and 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 the the flying public. I remember Ken last week saying, "I was supposed to fly on one of those, and I'm not, and I changed my flight to go back to Florida." So there, but did the media? I don't care what the I don't care what the pilots said. I mean, it's interesting, but that's not going to determine whether no, they should be whether they should be grounded for now or not. It's just one more data point. I want to know what Boeing says. And initially, Boeing said, oh, Mr. President, please, uh, apparently in a private call, you don't need to ground these. But then within a couple of days, they realized that internationally we were isolated and and, and it was affecting people's decisions like Ken's on what to fly. And, and people were staying away from them. And sometimes you you, you, you have to make another move. It's not the pilots association said it's fine. We still They're the people that are know. flying the plane. Though. We still don't know what happened, Justin. I, Good I, God, I, you're you're proposing something that's far riskier than the than the problematic situation we have right now with with why, an why FAA is that, why, and Boeing. Why, but wait, why why is that you're, why is that you're, far riskier? You're saying you're just saying, hey, the pilots' union says let us fly, let's fly. Sorry, Did, Boeing uh, and the airlines are the ones that are on the hook when a plane goes down um, way more than the pilots. Obviously, somebody who doesn't know how to pilot an aircraft. The, the pilots know, the are the ones the that are the, pilot, the people who are the victims of the crash. The pilots, the pilots are the ones. Wait, 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 wait. Time, everybody stop. Everyone else. Everybody stop. Number one, the pilot in command is the one in charge of saying go, no, go on that aircraft. I, I have an entire union of pilots that fly the MAX on a, on a daily basis that sit there and say, look, there is not a problem. Keep them flying. And the ground has been littered by, by aircraft for overconfident pilots that hit the ground that flew planes that shouldn't have. Hold on, Dan, I'll, Dan, I'll get back wise. to that. Dan, I'll get back to that. Admiral Ken first. So, Justin, I, I spent the first four, four years of my Navy career in, in the Naval Aviation Program. I've got three arrested landings on an aircraft carrier. Uh, I, too, am still a rated pilot, although not current. And the number one lesson I learned coming out of Pensacola, the number one lesson I learned, and I think it's perfectly applicable here, if there's doubt, then there's no doubt. So we wait a few days, we wait a few weeks maybe, to remove all doubt that this airplane is all that it's supposed to be. No one's, no, the, only, the only thing that's going to happen here is that Boeing can stock, the argument, can Boeing you, stock may take a hit for a little bit, and the American Airlines will make a few extra dollars because they've got a reduced can, fleet to operate with. But other than that, we're good, man. Admiral Ken, can, can it be said that maybe the media hyped this up to a point where it forced the hand of the government to ground them? I, 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 I sure it could. But, you know, how is that any different than anything else we've seen in the media in our entire adult lives? No, I, no, I, I disagree. This is, again, in law, flight is considered an inherently dangerous activity just because the risks are so high. So it's a strict liability area of law. This is just a statement of fact in common law countries. Because of that, 
the fact that every passenger both on the plane and every civilian on the ground when an airplane is flying overhead is putting absolute faith in not just the pilot, but the equipment and everyone else for making sure that this thing is handling itself well because the risk for everyone else is so high. When planes fall out of the sky and the fact that there was, and this is the facts that we know, that even beyond the black boxes, that there were flight characteristic similarities between the Indonesian crash and the Ethiopian crash, that was sufficient for for airline for, for excuse me, for aviation administrations across the planet to say there is something unsafe about this aircraft. Historically, when airplanes started crashing went back in the beginning of the jet age, because, and this goes back to, I believe, the Comet aircraft, when airplane windows used to have corners as opposed to being round, that part of the reason for that change when, the, when I believe the Comet started falling out of the sky is because that the points where corners would hit the fuselage was a weak point that caused airplanes to fall apart when they were pressurized at high altitude. They've grounded those aircraft and then started conducting tests to figure out what went wrong. They knew there was a problem, but it took additional testing to figure out what the problem was. But they grounded the aircraft until they figured it out because they knew there was something wrong. It is not incorrect to say that grounding these aircraft because we know something is wrong and we need to figure it out before more of them fly because everyone else is putting trust in them. That is something that governments are supposed to do. I would only add I would only add that 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 maybe not even assuming that or thinking that something's wrong, just thinking something might be wrong. Again, if there's doubt, then there's no doubt. Look, as a pilot, I'm naturally risk adverse. Uh, I have made the decision not to fly into stuff because of equipment, because of all kinds of stuff. But I will say this, though. I think that the media pressure that was put on the manufacturer, that was put on the FAA, that was put on the administration, I think was a little much. And if it saves one life, I'm okay with it. And it wasn't just the media. There were members of Congress on both sides of the aisle, on both sides of the, of Again, the House. I don't, were, to, I don't were, have to agree with them. Who, no, I'm just saying, yeah. you know, there there was a lot of people saying, wait, what are we doing here? We're right. isolated. And let that be the last word. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, Beto O'Rourke is running for president and has started Beto Palooza. 2020. I think it's my time too. What's that? I think it's my time to run for president too. Okay, well, were, you cut, born, were, you, were you born for it? You're cut off for it. You're cut off for it now. Uh, we'll be back in. We'll be back in one minute. This is the best political talk you've never heard of. Backroom politics from Podcast Village. We'll be back in a minute. Where have you been? If you could only read my mind, what a tale you find. If I could. I would be bound forever, and I'd never sever me from you. You won't believe it's true, but I've been missing you. I dream of kissing you. Let's give it one more chance, one more slow dance. Hello, heartstrings, where have you been? 
Best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics from Podcast Village in Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., your nation's capital. Uh, in case you don't know it, finally, Beto O'Rourke is running for president. In a videotape announcement last Thursday, uh, the former Texas Democrat Congress member announced in a video with him and his wife in an Wife did not look thrilled that he was running. I just got to tell you something. But anyway, he announced that he is, in fact, officially put his hat in the ring for the nomination of the Democratic presidential race in 2020. Uh, Now bringing the total number of Democrats up to 148 that are running for president now uh, to run against the, I guess, president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about Beto. Dan, as kind of the Democratic-ish kind of guy here today, uh, tell me about Beto Palooza. Why did news organizations like MSNBC and CNN and the New York Post, they fawned all over him. They followed him throughout Iowa that day. What is with Beto O'Rourke? I don't know if I'm the right person to ask about this. So I'm asking you because you're a Democrat. <laughs> I didn't completely understand uh, people fawning all over Barack Obama when he ran for president. People were falling all over him um, right when he announced. I remember he gave a great convention speech, and that was true. But I never understood the true uh, there there behind the 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 the, the cult of Barack Obama. That said, Beto O'Rourke seems to have real fans and real fans that show up, and more importantly, real fans that show up with their checkbook. He raised $6 million almost immediately. 24 hours. announcing he was running for president, which is nothing to sneeze at. Um, so, yeah, there is a thing there. I'd be lying if I said I had complete understanding of it, other than maybe there's a whole bunch of Republicans that are still thankful that he gave Ted Cruz a run for his life. Maybe that's part of it. But yeah, there, there, there is a there is a cult of Beto that is absolutely there and is going to have to be reckoned with. But Alan Moore, this is a guy who lost his last Senate campaign, is no longer serving in office, is basically a stay-at-home dad. What, what, what is the what, what is the draw that gives Beto O'Rourke uh, a shot at the nomination, being on top of the ticket? So first of all, let's just correct the, your statement that he's a stay-at-home dad. He obviously doesn't spend much time at home at all. Yeah, he's too busy um, drinking which, coffee in which, Iowa. Which, which got him into trouble when he was jokingly trying to praise his wife for how she's raising those their three children um, with the occasional help from him. And then uh, a bunch of women's groups uh, just jumped all over him for, for, for that. Um I, I don't know. I mean, I, I was intrigued with, with Beto versus Cruz uh, in the Senate campaign. I, I, I found it fascinating. But I, he raised $80 million, 80 
million dollars, which the most was any which, Senate race ever, which was uh, for me much more a measure of 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 how much hatred there was and animus towards Ted Cruz than love of Beto. Having said that, he was a YouTube sensation. He took on some unpopular causes. Um, he seemed new and kind of enthusiastic. Nobody was asking, wait, he was in the House for six years? Did he ever do anything? They're still looking. They're still looking for for some for for some imprint he might have made back when he was a member of the Democrat minority in the House, and now he's just outside. He he did this bizarre stuff in recent months, wandering in the wilderness, uh, live streaming a uh, a trip to the dentist. Very strange stuff, and and the the media for whatever reasons they put him on the cover of Vanity Fair. Uh, he talks about how he was born for this, but then he's had to back off of that, just as he had to uh, apologize to his wife. It turns out that when he was in high school, not that we want to focus in on everything somebody does in high school. We've kind of been there, done that this year. But but are you bringing he, him to DUI? He, well, he was a, a DUI. I think was in college, but. But no, I'm talking about when in high school he was a part of this this hacking group called Cult of Dead Cow, and they hacked. He stole credit card numbers, and he said, you know, I, that I would just buy coffee with it. And then he wrote a piece of fiction that he posted, all with a pseudonym, but he's owned uh, he's owned it. He says, yeah, it was me, um, in which he was describing, not to get too graphic here, driving a car and running over a bunch of children and how great it felt. It was very weird stuff. Now, he was 17 or 18 when he did it, but uh, uh, and it turns out that, that, the writer, that the Reuters reporter who first identified him, who's writing a book uh, about it, knew about this stuff before the election. But sat on it. So that's an, an, until after the in, in, until recently. Um, there's all kinds of interesting, weird stuff. Now he raised eighty. He obviously has an impressive list of donors. Picked up six million in the first day, which is even more than Bernie. And by the uh, way, you, you forgot one had, important piece of his history was in a punk rock band. He was in a punk rock band, a couple of them. I mean, he he's had a interesting interesting uh, life. Uh, life and history and now he's uh he's out there thinking that that life and and that uh, that sort of do nothing record in the Congress uh and the losing uh uh effort in uh, the, in the Senate um uh against the, <laughs> the enormously unpopular Ted Cruz qualifies him uh to be president. He doesn't have much of an organization apparently. Um, uh, but he's trying to do what he did in the Texas campaign, just is, uh, be on the move at all times, meet with groups, meet with groups. A little, not on, not totally unlike right. what Elizabeth Warren is doing, except she's got substantive positions right. on policies. He doesn't. Admiral Ken, as a Texas voter, uh, you're, you would be in the know. As, as Alan pointed out, what he created in the Texas Senate run uh, two years ago was fairly impressive for kind of a a, uh, a lesser known house name like Beto O'Rourke. Can he recreate that magic on a nationwide scale, do you think? Well, I, I want to re remind you that uh, we had a show that was subsequent to a, uh, a trip I'd made out to Austin and had run into some of his staffers down on 6th Street. And for those of you in our listening audience who've never been to Sixth Street down in Austin, you need to put that on your bucket list. Anyway, um, so 
to a person, most of these people were millennials or millennials plus two or three. Um, uh, and, and that I think that I think probably constitutes a, a great number of, of, of his supporters. I have two millennials. I've actually got four, four millennials and, uh, two of them are, were raised in Texas and they love this guy. I mean, they, they he can do no wrong. Um, my one, one of them uh, said that he had a he had a, a Kennedy-esque quality as best as she understood uh, Kennedy, having only read about it. So I I, I laughed when 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 uh, when I heard it, much like Alan's laughing now. Um, but again, uh, can he recreate it? You know what? Again, his fundraising to date suggests that there's a pretty good chance that he can. Is that going to be enough to overcome the fact that he really has not? Put out any policy uh, stances on anything, um, you know. Uh, you know, does he have something more than a good look and a wink and a smile? Um, I, I don't know, but I guess we're going to find out. Well, the, the the history on on Kennedy, and this is worth noting. And to Alan's point, uh, the, the LBJ versus JFK. Supposedly, LBJ could not fathom that this young senator from Massachusetts with no legislative history. Uh, was going to win the nomination. And while LBJ was busy focusing on getting legislation through the Senate that he thought was going to be his ticket to the presidency, much to his surprise, right. this young senator, without much of a track record, but also with a history of sk skipping committee meetings, uh, was ever going to outshine him in the run for the presidency. History is evidence that that is not necessarily how things work and both the distant history with JFK and the more recent history with Barack Obama. Okay, drunk history. Let's talk about that for a second. Are you saying that uh, Bernie Sanders is the LBJ and Beto's the JFK in this? No, I'm not putting it. Well, <laughs> I, I, well unlike Alan, I will call, L, call Bernie Sanders a legislator. I'm not for a split second going to put uh, Bernie Sanders in the same category <clears throat> of LBJ. But let, let, let's let's talk about the fight between the uh, the Burn crowd and the Beto crowd. Uh, this is a thing. The you go to any social media site and you'll see Beto people going after Bernie people, Bernie people going after Beto people. Is this where two progressives cancel each other out? I think the other thing that you're going to see, uh, if you haven't already, if once Biden gets into it, is the Biden people and the burn and the burn. We're people going to talk about the, that in one second. People. I mean, but but what I'm saying is, uh, I, I've heard this described as is is the is the Democratic uh, Party's version of the Tea Party that the, the fight that you're going to see. And I, you know, at the end of the day, you know, and and I'm not a Democrat, nor have I ever you know uh, been one, but uh, I'll I'll offer this bit of uh, advice to them. Less of you needs to need to be running for president, and number two, you need to try and figure out who you can put out that can beat Donald Trump. And I'm not entirely sure that Beto or uh, several of the other candidates have got the other stuff to get that done. Dan Lipner. Well, that's that's to be seen. Um, I will say the the fight within the Democratic Party has already gotten weird and already gotten uglier than I would like. Um, I've already had to chime in with. Uh, a, to just throw some facts out there without necessarily taking sides while in defense of 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 Joe Biden. Um, Joe Biden has been attacked for 
uh, his positions, both as, as senator from Delaware. He's been attacked for the crime vi- bill. He's been attacked for how he handled the Anita Hill hearings, su- suggesting that he was somehow anti-woman. Unfortunately, I've had to throw a little history at my fellow Democrats and progressives pointing out that Joe Biden was also the author of the Violence Against Women Act, and he also fought for its renewal uh, during Barack Obama's administration. But, that but, said, this is what the Democratic Party is going to do, and at least it's going to be a fight over ideas, which I will take. Um, ideally, it will stay amongst a fight of ideas and not just a cult of personality versus versus a cult is, of personality. Is Beto, I will take a fight of ideas. Is Beto a cult of personality? Is this love affair with the media with Beto? I mean, literally, the day of the announcement, they had it as breaking news for no less than six hours on MSNBC. Is well, this arguably, a cult? Arguably, the, the, the press didn't create it. So Donald Trump was no place in the polls and also was raising no money when he announced. The, the media fury that surrounded uh, Donald Trump's rise to the presidency through the nomination process being a creation of the media fixation of this, of this millionaire who also was a reality show star you could actually you can put a credible argument that it is entirely a creation of the media. The fact that Beto O'Rourke and even Bernie Sanders had have and had grassroots support that materialized in the form of low dollar donors suggests that the media paying attention to these guys actually mattered because there were people that were following him regardless of the media. So there is something to make note of and contrast with what occurred for, with uh, Donald Trump's rise to the presidency. Does, does history show us, Alan Moore, that, that Beto and, the, and, and literally the rocket ship that is the Beto machine right now, is it sustainable and does this all go away when Joe Biden announces, which he almost well, did this weekend? Yeah. So for, for me, history shows us that we need to be humble and that we don't know. Um, no one thought that Barack Obama would Barack Obama would do what he did. I don't. Going back to to John Kennedy, that was a huge surprise. Um, Donald Trump, although he was a smart guy and who'd who'd served uh, in the House and the Senate. Um, uh, and and at least knew something about policy. Had written a couple of books, um, and was good looking and articulate and so on. Then and then we have Trump, who uh, talk about a cult of personality. Um, uh, suddenly knocks off fifteen, sixteen other people. Could Beto do that? He could. I don't think he will. I th- I think that that you when you see him. You kind of see everything, and you you're looking for more depth, and you don't find it. Um, but that I I I don't I don't look to history for any lessons, and and who would have ever guessed that he would raise eighty million dollars? Anybody could guess that he wouldn't be able to beat Cruz. Uh, he certainly gave him a run for his money, but with eighty million bucks, you ought to be able to do something, especially when somebody's un, so unpopular. But but I I don't I I don't think. He's got what it takes. Bernie is is kind of old news because the stuff that was so exciting to people a few uh, four years ago, um, uh, or or in in the in the past three two three years ago, 
is now accepted by <laughs> a whole host of the other candidates. So he's not unique and different. And it's just him, right. him against Hillary. Biden, I don't know that there's a lot, a lot to. We'll to talk watch. about Biden here a in a show. second. Uh, for Dan, then Admiral Ken. Well, a couple of things. As far as the substance, you don't need to just look at the Democratic Party. Uh, it was also the knock against W when he ran for president uh, and got his clock clean in New Hampshire uh, that everyone thought W's campaign of 2000 may have been over. Um, it wasn't until South Carolina where he had a particular moment where it was really ugly between him and John McCain. But that's not the point where, where W really broke. At least in my opinion, when he broke, was there, there was a candidate forum, an item that people forget, where all the candidates were asked who their favorite philosopher was, and nobody remembers anyone else's answers, including me. I do remember W's answer. W's answer was Jesus. And at which point the entire focus turned to W, and suddenly South Carolina was the turn of W's campaign where he started picking up a huge amount of momentum and went on his way to winning the nomination. There are a lot of things at play, and right. the momentum hits, and when you, when you find that crystallization moment on your run for the presidency, things can change. Right. For Ronald Reagan, when he ran the, the when he when he took the stage and and stormed the uh, a Democratic meeting with other Democrat excuse me Republican meeting with other other Republican candidates and grabbed the microphone and said, "I paid for this microphone." That was Ronald Reagan's that, moment. That's true. No, Ad- no telling what's going to be that moment that drives the candidate to the nomination. Right, Admiral Ken. Uh, I'm sure my one one of my four listening, uh, probably my daughter. Uh, and, and I would be in trouble if I didn't if I didn't correct you on this. It's not Beto, it's Beto. Thank you. <sighs> potato, potato. No, that's good. That's good. Oh, is it? It's, it's like it's like. Where does Kamala, Beto come from anyway? What, what's like, the origin of the nickname? I think it's it's a nickname he had growing up. It's all we know. No, I think we actually know more than that, but we've forgotten it. I think there's a, a there's a story there. Anyway, um, does it matter? But. Um, but no, it, it Ken's absolutely right. It's 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 Beto. Beto, and I was amused back when Ken talked about about when young people say he's got the Kennedy factor. It's like, who do you know? What do you know about the Kennedy factor? Uh, true, um, but but it lives on. It does, uh, which, which is interesting. Let's talk about to have his Kennedy moment. I knew Jack Kennedy, and you, sir, I know Jack Kennedy. Oh, here we go. Really? Are we gonna? Are we gonna? Are we gonna? Are we gonna bring back and how Lloyd they, Lloyd Benson, the ghost of Lloyd Benson, and bring that back to? How, right? how did that work out for their election? Exactly for Vice, for Vice President Benson. That's true. That's true. <laughs> hey, uh, Dan Lipner, let's talk about your old boss. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about uh, Uncle Joe Biden. Uncle Joe is up there in Delaware, getting all into it, and then don't slips a little bit. Uh, it's not just in Delaware. He's he's traveling and meeting a lot. No, of no, no. But he, he actually came out and said the comment. You know, those of us that are running for president or who might be running, he had to catch himself. Is it done deal that you think is Joe Biden running for president? Based on everything I've seen and some conversations I've had, yes, I believe Joe Biden is running for president. Um, I don't think that's news to anyone. Um, we will see what happens in the in the Democratic battlefield. Um, 
I'm also not certain it's a great idea, considering what is going to be the Democratic battlefield. Uh, Joe Biden being the, the wise state, statesman that could very well uh, be the, the, the voice of reason to calm voices if he stays out, but stays as a moderating voice on the outside might be more helpful. But I don't think that's going to happen. Admiral Ken. The real question is, if Biden gets in, is Dan going to go work for him? Yeah, actually, that's a very good question. Dan, are you going to leave us anytime soon? I guess is the bigger question. No comment. Oh, you you <laughs> jackass, you are. Oh, Dan, you have to find something. <laughs> he, he's not going to make. He's not going to make a comment because what benefit would there possibly be to make a comment? So. Uh giving his giving his homeboys here on backroom politics a really cool scoop. I love you, Dan. You're the man, dude. <laughs> Dan. So, Dan, let me get this straight. He said nothing. We can make our own predictions. We can make our own predictions, but I would venture to say if there's a Biden in the race, probably Dan will be going. I'm only doing it as it gets to be Secretary of the Treasury. Wait, wait, what was that? I'm sorry. What I'm was only that? Going if Isaac gets to be Secretary of the Treasury. If Isaac gets to be Secretary of the Treasury, your son, Isaac, as Secretary of the Treasury. Couldn't do worse than the current guy. Uh, why do you hate Steve Mnuchin, man? Why do you hate Hollywood? Come on, man. That's not cool. Uh, yes, there is it's one thing. Wife. There is one thing I do want to point out, and this is where I get upset with my party. On St. Patrick's Day, the GOP official Twitter handle put out a picture of a Beto O'Rourke mugshot with a Irish leprechaun hat on and a basically uh, inappropriate reference to drunk driving and Irish people. First of all, that's not the GOP I know. Do something ethically insensitive? What? I would never think of that of the Republican Party. I mean, we've literally come full circle. Is we are now race baiting. We are now doing bigoted comments about white Irish people. That is how far along we've got. Who is running the show over there, white, Alan? White on white crime, it sounds like to that, me. That's well, what I, this I, is. I mean, the Irish Catholics aren't allowed to join the clan, so David Duke's not a fan. But this is insane. And, and we've heard no retraction. We've heard no apology. I got to tell you something. I'm trying to think. You're not Irish. You're, you're, uh, Dan's no. definitely not Irish. Uh, I think. I'm the closest thing to Irish. Whoa, whoa, I'm Scotch, whoa. but you're Scotch. Whoa. All right, wait. Are you are you Irish, I, 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 Ken? I, I'm 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 uh, I'm married to a bunch of them, buddy. Seriously, yeah, okay. they're all here. Sorry. They're all here Sunday. <laughs> now, did they? I'm not entirely so, sure that stereotype was too far what, off, at least in my eyes. Are they? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And they and and the question is, did it offend any of them? I don't think they could probably tell. Okay, so that, I mean, it. it was stupid, right? But it was, <laughs> no, it's it, offensive. It was just stupid. Well, it's, it's so, a, so it, it's a, it offended it offended my English my English sister in law. Is for somebody just to randomly do it? Yeah, it could have been a funny ha ha. For the actual party organization to do it. That's, That's my problem. That's my problem. I mean, you know, they sit there and say, "Well, we're not racist. We're we're race baiting white people." Are you kidding? This is stupid. Absolutely stupid.
Um, well, again, the Klan demographic is not allowed, would not be a fan of Beto O'Rourke. I'm assuming he's Catholic. So Irish Catholics are not allowed to join the Klan. And who is it? Who is it that said? Likes the Klan demographic. That would make sense. Who is it? Who is it? Everybody keeps asking me, why am I still a registered Republican? Because we got to change this from the inside. But I'm like one of now part of a minority 10%. I'm like a Republican in exile. Welcome this... to the club. Me and Ken welcome you to the minority club. This... Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Easy. Easy. Wait, oh, he was talking about political minority, jackass. Oh, okay. Thank you. Uh, with that in mind, these guys are killing me. Killing me. And I'm getting the watch signal. You, you, know, what, you know what's really bad is... Really, we're going to bring up Manischewitz. All right. You know what? Shut them down. Shut, the, shut them hey, both down. Hey, are the Conways Irish? Kellyanne and George, are they Irish? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. You know what? Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a political override here. I need five more minutes on this. I got. I know we're at one fifty. I need one. I need five more minutes. I got to talk about this Kellyanne Conway thing. You set the base in a minute or less, Alan. So George Conway, husband of Kellyanne, has taken it upon himself to tweet regularly. In uh, a mental in, diagnosis, in in opposition to the president, he pokes fun. He gets serious. He gets angry. And now the president has finally taken the bait. And yesterday, or maybe it was this morning, he finally he himself tweeted about George Conway. Um, I don't know how to figure out this bizarre marriage. This is so strange. Kellyanne, the great defender, embarrassingly so, of the president, married to and parent co-parent with their three or four children to George Conway, accomplished lawyer, who absolutely despises the president and has gone public with it. So for those of us in Washington, and I think the audience is even larger, it's just fascinating. It's like this train wreck. What is going on? It- where, how can it end? It, it, well, the funny thing about it is it's it's almost like they had the idea that they were going to be the next Carville-Matlin. Am I wrong in that assessment? The all-Republican Carville-Matlin. Huh? The all-Republican Carville-Matlin. He's not a Republican. I don't think no, he's I think, I think he's a Republican. Is he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, I mean, the difference with Carville and Matlin is that they— actually had a lot of affection for each other and respect for each other, and they were always very careful to keep politics um, out, of, out of the bedroom. And and it's hard to see where... The, the, because, because they're both talking about the boss. They're both she, talking about the same person. They, Carville and Matlin could talk about different subjects. The Republicans are doing this. The Democrats are doing that. But I will tell you, this yesterday, as she was walking into the East Wing, or the West Wing, rather, and she caught up with the, with the press spray, she looked like she was about ready to serve divorce papers yesterday. She's got to be she ticked. Was not happy. Well, and the president apparently in his tweet said, "I I don't even know the guy." And then that prompted Conway today, George Conway, to say, "Well, here's a half a dozen different times when I've had a conversation with the president, rode in a car with the president, talked to the president about this subject, that subject. I've known the guy ten years." Um, so. It, it it it's one that the president was better off leaving At, alone, and now it's escalated uh, it, to a higher level of visibility. To himself, hey, not good for the marriage. Hey Dan Lipner, let me ask you a question. Uh, do you are they are they do they get divorced before the twenty twenty election? 
Yeah, I think this is beneath us getting into somebody's personal life like that. Uh, they haven't brought their personal lives involved at, at politics at that level. They've talked to uh, Mr. Conway has talked about the president independent of his wife. And I'm prepared to leave it at that. It's it's unseemly to talk about their relationship. They, they like bring it, they, they, she brought it in this weekend, which was kind of odd. Not not the same extent. It, this is unseemly and it, it's beneath us. Oh, OK. By the way, for the record, Alan wanted to bring it up. Is the- <laughs> Alan, Alan wanted to bring it up. Mr. Morality. Yeah, everybody, you know what I love is everybody in the cage is laughing at it, too. I laughed. I laughed. It's my show now. I asked asked if the Conways were Irish, and and Justin demanded five more minutes. that was. You were the one who asked for it. Oh, now it's I, my show. No, 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 no. I'm, no, I'm, no, I'm no, no, done. No, 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 no. I was I'm happy d- to, to talk about it. By I mean, way, it's, shameless baby shot. It's oh, shameless right. baby shot. Now we're you guys, a little yeah. baby. Not this exactly is, conducive. I, I wanted to the show briefly. Not exactly is, conducive ooh, for radio, news. but this but is a good I, view. I mean, I think the Conway thing is not an illegitimate subject to talk about. I don't want to devote a whole half an hour on it, but it's very strange and. And uh, but it's like watching a car wreck in slow motion. What a very funny car wreck. Okay. Uh, baby wearing Irish green. He's wearing blue. Okay. Uh, anyway, that's music. Uh, Rob, the engineer, Oscar, thank you for keeping us kind of on track today. Uh, Dan Lipner, Isaac's looking cute. Obviously, the product of his mom. Admiral Ken. Cheers down in Boca Vista. Alan, always always good seeing you, my friend. Uh, thanks, everybody, uh, for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at Backroom Politic. You can go and listen to all the historical documents on backroompolitics.org. You can download us as a podcast on your favorite pod service. He's getting a lot of sun. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's not a good look. He's like, ah. Again, we're giving descriptions of stuff that is not good for radio. Uh, you can follow us on your favorite podcasting service, including iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We're kind of a big deal now. Uh, I'm your host, moderator, Justin Russell. We'll see you next episode of America's best political talk show you've never heard of, Backroom Politics from Podcast Village in Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. Have a great time, America.